0: This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. We may have a Stanley Cup champion tonight. Vegas is the site of the Golden Knights and the Panthers. And a Golden Knights win They are Stanley Cup champions. Panthers trying to force a game six back in Florida. And a man that has the call internationally is our friend EJ Raddick from the NHL Network. NHL Now is also a way you can catch him between the hours of 4 and and six eastern and he joins us live from sin city how are you buddy i am good how are you doing today? good i am you know, i got a sinus infection but that just comes with it That just that's life i'm just an old <laughs> well, man feel now. better feel better but um no I'm, I'm, I'm okay just get the right antibiotic and everything's working out great but uh yeah we might you might get the call a champion uh, tonight but uh before we get started with that how how has it been going calling these games
1: it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've been working with Kevin Weeks, who I really enjoy working with, and uh, you know the games have been interesting. We've got an overtime uh, game winner. I got the call, so that was fun. And uh, you know we'll see how things go tonight. But you're right. I mean, it's uh, it'd be an opportunity to uh, to call a Stanley Cup winner here tonight, and uh, should be. I mean, I, I just think the way the series has gone. I mean, I think Vegas is in a good position to wrap things up tonight, but. You know, that said, Colorado went home last year, uh, game five, up three to one, and they ended up having to go back to Tampa before winning it. So, uh, we will see. But it is I do think there is there are this is a little bit of a different situation, I think. Vegas is it's kind of continuing to to play very well and to almost get better as the playoffs go along and they've been healthy and Florida, I think, has just been a little bit worn down, and they got some significant uh, dings and injuries they're dealing with.
0: And um, are you comfortable in your broadcast area?
1: Well, it's better than it was last year. I mean, in Vegas, it's great. We have our own booth. We're up high, but we have our own booth over Dead Center Ice, so that's terrific. Um, in, uh, In Florida, we are in the first row of the press box. So it's kind of a makeshift area, but it's not bad, and certainly better than it was last year in Tampa when I was kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of a four kind of trying to call the while right. in a crouch. Uh, so that's uh, I would something that is probably not, uh, you know, not the best circumstance. But uh, this year it's been better, and uh, like I said, Kevin is easy to work with. So uh, hopefully we'll have a good call tonight. It should be uh, you know the, the city here in Las Vegas people are excited. And, uh, hey, I mean, pretty amazing to think you could win a Stanley Cup in your first six years. And that's kind of what Bill Foley, the owner, laid out several years ago, six years. So uh, he may prove to be uh, Nostradamus with this one.
0: Yeah, and I I had somebody on Twitter, um, well, misunderstand when I say Vegas is due, um, he took it as, well, it's been so long since they've won. And, and no, that would mean Florida's due because it's been so long since they've yeah. never won. But I think you knew what I meant when I said it when we made our It's just that they've been on this course, that yeah. even though it's been a short period of time, when you look at their six years or the five previous years, this should not come as a surprise. And when you consider the fact that they were the most consistent and best team in the West all year long, that I just think they're due in the sense that Hey, the, the previous five years have presented this case that they deserve what they're going to get possibly tonight.
1: Yeah, listen, they've been pushing right from the start. I mean, when you get to the Stanley Cup final in year one of your existence. I mean, you've set the bar, the barn pretty high, and, you know, they've, uh, with the exception of last year when they ran into a lot of injury issues. And I think they were kind of resetting their team, you know, last year during the season. I mean, I know they wouldn't say that, they were trying to win. Um, but when they went out and, and got Eichel and, uh, you know, they knew he was going to have to have the surgery and it was going to take some time for him to come back. And even when he did come back, I mean, it would have been a lot to ask for guy to jump in who hadn't played in quite a while and was dealing with a significant uh, procedure to come in and really be a difference maker. I, I felt at the time, I was like, I, as we, as they went down the stretch last year, I said, I just don't see it for Vegas this year. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So uh, I think that, you know, they need a summer to reset and Eichel to have a summer to get ready and then, you know, just figure out some different things with their roster. And they were able to do that. And, uh, you know, in the end, you know, here we are and uh, they're just a beautifully slotted team. Um, You know, you've probably heard me talk about that over the years when we've worked together, the slotting is so important. First line center, second line center, third line center, fourth line center, you know, first KG second G, that type of thing. Guys slotted in the right position where they have the most chance to be impactful in the game. And I think that uh, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon have done a wonderful job of, of slotting with this group. And you, know, you think of that first team that went to the Cup final, and that was a good group of players. But by adding Eichel as a legit number one center, by adding Petragelo as a legit number one defenseman, it sets everybody back into mm-hmm. the right roles and uh, you know that was a team that didn't have a captain Mark stone arrives and he becomes uh, their first captain and he was kind of a perfect fit for that group too so i just think they've done a marvelous job and you know we'll see if we can uh finish things off on home ice tonight now
0: you mentioned you got a uh overtime goal call in game three was that was that your first overtime playoff game
1: no i have had a couple of them i had the cr- the uh, crazy game i think the Cadre game when he scored in overtime. Um, you know that was a tricky one where no one knew where the puck was. <laughs> you know? Right. So that was an unusual one. I got, I think I think I've had. I had some obviously in the regular season in doing games on our NHL Network showcase games. But as you know, when you're calling, you know uh, playoff games or any game that goes into overtime, right? You're hoping for a clean look. And uh, I thought I had a, a really clean look at the Carter Brady goal, so that made me happy that I was able to, uh, you know, to get that one. And uh, I was happy with the the, the result. But uh, you know, you know, from doing this, Donnie, it's uh, you know, you don't always get that good fortune.
0: <laughs> right. It's um. It's nerve wracking. I I I didn't get my first playoff overtime goal until 2014, and then I got a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, the Stanley Cup final yeah. game one, but my first was the, um, the game one goal, um, from I think it was, I think it was Derek Brassard, um, against Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. I remember we go to overtime, and I'm just walking around the hall, just like, don't screw this up, don't screw this up, and also <laughs> trying to think, and also trying to think about, um, you know, you could be, we could be here a while. So you got to try to pace yourself, too, because you don't know. This could be forever. Um, And if you remember, I think it was – no, Pilat scored the goal. Because if you you remember the moment, Broussard hit the post. Mm -hmm. The official waves the goal off. I call it a goal because I saw it go in, but then I have to correct it because the official waves it off. The rebound goes to Palat. He scores anyway. And then, so I felt pretty good because I was on top of both because the, the the original goal did go in. So it was originally Prasad, but it was just a wacky kind of thing. But yeah, that's all you're hoping for.
1: I think I remember that. I think I remember that play. Yeah, <laughs> in terms of like it was it was a weird play.
0: Yeah, it was just yeah. kind of a, you know, you, you never know. You can, you can try to plan for these things, but it's never as you kind of picture it's going to be. Well, the
1: cadre goal right, last year where the puck, you know, got caught up in the net and nobody really knew where it was, like, even from my strained position in my crouch, I thought the puck went in. But because there was no celebration by anybody and everybody kind of looked at each other I hesitated to call it, and I think if you listen to all the goal calls of that that goal, nobody really called it because we were all kind of wondering, you know, like usually the celebration helps you in that right. scenario. <laughs> and, you know, even the Patrick Kane goal that he scored in 2010 to win the Stanley Cup against the Flyers, where no one really knew where the puck was, Kane, you know, there's, just, there's an angle. If you're on the angle of Patrick Kane, you can really see it. I mean, even the great Doc Emmerich had a problem with that one. And, you know, but there was at least a celebration. You know, Kane celebrated. Right. And in this case, no one celebrated, not even (laughs) the shooter. So uh, it took us us a moment. But I did, as I said, I mean, I really did feel like I saw the goal go in, but... You know, you don't want to, I didn't want to jump jumped it if that was not the case. I mean I figured it was better to wait and um you know, that's just and you heard all the if you if you don't listen to all the the different calls of that goal, um, everybody had to hesitate on that one. No one knew where it was and there was no celebration.
0: That's always the way to kinda of go with it, no question about it. All right, let's get down to this series. I guess a couple of things. Did you did you expect or think there should be any discipline, uh, Petrangelo at the end of that game the other night?
1: Well, I talked to the hockey operations group and they said that uh, you know, once the game ends, the person is allowed to come out of the penalty box. And uh, you know, unfortunately you didn't skate in there looking for an altercation. I mean, you were skating towards his teammates uh, at the end of the game and then, you know, and then he got kind of uh you know, kind of Drawn into that, but it wasn't, he was not looking for it, so I didn't, uh, you know, I, 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 did, I did take note of it on the broadcast, and I did uh, ask about it, but, uh, you know, I really, I wasn't too surprised at it, because there's not like an on guard over at the penalty box to keep people from leaving the box when the time expires, so, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting anything to come from it.
0: And I know a lot of Panther fans up in arms with the non-call on the cross check towards the end of the game.
1: Well, Monica I mean, Chuck. there was a lot of penalties. But there yeah. was a lot of penalties at the end of that game. I mean, Petrangelo fired the puck into the netting. Now, if you watch the play, he gets tomahawk chopped by Brandon Montour and then subsequently cross-checked, mm. you know, which leads to the, the, the him flipping the puck out, right? And so neither one of them, I thought it was kind of hilarious to watch. You know, here, a guy flips the puck over the glass, everything like, you know, just just slashed, clearly, like, chopped, and then cross-checked, and he gets the penalty. Um, there was a number of cross-checks back and forth. In fact, I thought that uh, Br- Brady McNabb, cross-checks, Bennett into the goaltender, into Hill late in a scramble in front, and that could have really been a the detriment of of Brady McNabb or Braden McNabb because, I mean, there would have been no way if the puck ends up in the net because Hill was out of, the, out of position you're not going to be able to have goalie interference because McNabb clearly crossed Chet's bent it in. But, you know, I mean, I don't know why. You know, people can, are never happy, Don, because there was a lot of penalties in the first four games and everybody or the first three games, and, and people were there were to too many penalties and want more five-on-five. Five. And then in the last game, there was uh, two penalties called in the game, one with 17.4 seconds left in the game and people were looking for more penalties. So, I mean, at the end of the day, the officials do the best they can. And, uh, you know, for me, through these first four games, one team has been significantly better than the other. And, uh, you know, the team that in this case is looking for a penalty hasn't scored a power play goal in four games. So, uh, you know, the officials, I guess, are always going to be under the gun.
0: But I thought there was a, a great example of just how hard it is to call this game, and how they sometimes officials need to be complimented when they get it right. Was the Kachuk Eichel hit from what was that game yeah. three? Where yeah. and I thought I thought Eddie did a great job it describing. Game, I
1: it, it was, I think it was game two. Game, game two. two in Vegas,
0: right? Yeah. So I'm just trying to remember. Um, the, yeah. Eddie did a great job describing the toe pick and how he kind of drove into Kachuk, like in real time. Sure, it looks like a vicious hit, looks like an illegal hit, but when you really break it down, I think they got it absolutely right.
1: Yeah, I think the, the I think the new rule. And I, I don't recall if this was what took place in this particular instance. Then they looked at it, but I think this idea of calling a major and reviewing it, I think, has really been helpful. Because you think, as you said, in real time, you know, in real time it used to be officials that were put in a position where even if they weren't necessarily 100% sure, they wanted to control the, temp- the, the, the the temperature of the game. And when a player, any player, I mean certainly a player, Jack Eichel's ill is, is hit in a play like that, if you're not sure and you don't have the opportunity to review it. You might call a penalty there just simply because, hey, it looked like a penalty and we don't put this game to get on hand. But I think the idea of being able to go and look at things now has been extremely helpful because it was very clear on replay that that was not a uh, penalty, that that Eichel had lost his balance and could delivered a the clean blow, and it was just an unfortunate play. And, and so, you uh, you know, at the end of the day, they got it right. They get a lot of things right. I mean, the officials, yeah. I mean, it is hard to do that job. And they get a lot of things right. They get some things wrong. No question about it. But, uh, you know, I think for the most part, these guys, they go out there and do a great job. And uh, it is, as I've said to you many, many, many times, it is one of the toughest sports, if not the toughest, to officiate with you know, 10 guys out there skating, everybody's cheating, everybody's looking for an edge, and you're on skates, and you're looking through traffic, and you don't always get a clean look. And I, I just think that, uh, you know, I try to keep everything in mind when, you know, we talk about officiating. And, and, you know, they miss some, there's no question, but I think, uh, you know, more often than not, they get it right. Right.
0: Now, that being said, a call I don't think they got right, and it didn't affect the Panthers, was the Forsling trip at the end of game three, which they were able to kill off and then eventually win the game, where it was just incidental skate contact. And maybe if they had a chance to review that, they might take it away. Would, would you want to see an avenue late in a game where a team could challenge a penalty call if they think they got it wrong like they like they have in the NBA? I wouldn't want to see it throughout the game because it would just stall things down. But in, in late situations like that, key moments, just have an avenue for the officials to take another look.
1: Well, I mean, you really are, you're, we're into that, you know, slippery slope because, you know, is it one minute left or it's three minutes left? I mean, I, I don't know. At this point in time, I would say no. I mean, I would also say thanks that, you know, that there was a lot of discussion about that, but people, again, people have short memories because the Florida Panthers who were on the short end in this particular case, and you're right, they were fortunate they killed the penalty, but, if you go back to Game Four of the Conference Final against Carolina, uh, Jordan Stall was issued a penalty for kind of a similar play on Forsling in the corner, um, where uh, there was kind of the contact, Forsling kind of went down, and it wasn't like in, it wasn't impactful to the play in any way, and that was in a minute left, and if you recall scoring on that power play with the last four or five seconds left in the game and winning the game and winning the series. Right. So I had little or no sympathy for the Panthers mm-hmm. in this situation because, you know, teams benefit from these things. It, it, it kind of all leaves itself out in the end, I believe. And, um, you know, I think that uh, – you know, these things are going to happen. I've said to you many times, I mean, there's adversity in hockey games, and I think that's the beauty of this game. It's like a lot like life. There's adversity throughout the game. Guys are playing hard. They're moving fast. they got sticks in their hands. I mean, things happen, and when you face adversity, you can you can be upset about it, and it may be, it may be an injustice, as we, again, we see in life all the time, but you have no alternative but just to kill the penalty, and You know, in the case of the Canes and the Panthers, the Canes were not able to kill the penalty, and the Panthers won. In this case, uh, the Panthers were able to kill the penalty, and they went on to win the game. So, uh, nothing's going to be perfect in this game, and like the call like that, yeah, late in the game. But you know, there are other calls throughout the game that could impact the game in dramatic ways. Sure. I mean, if you're going to just if you're going to start reviewing calls in the last minute or three minutes or whatever it is, I mean, you're pretty much get locked into reviewing them throughout the game. And I don't know if people have an appetite for that many stoppages.
0: No, No, that would not be the case at all. At Evernorth Health Services,
1: we believe costs
0: shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDSE. A couple of things before we let you go, and I do appreciate, you know, it's so early out there in Vegas and you're doing this for us. No, don't worry. Um, I guess it broke earlier today that uh, Michael and Lauer wins the auction for the Ottawa Senator, slightly under a billion dollars. Dollars, you just your thoughts on that, and, and you know the likelihood of being able to keep them in Ottawa and having a new building downtown.
1: Well, I mean, congratulations to the group. If indeed this is going to be the case, I mean, I'm sure there has to go through a little bit, a few more steps to make it an actual transaction. Uh, the, the rest, the rest of the process, but. Um, I think that the Ottawa Senators franchise is, uh, I mean, this is a good time to buy the Ottawa Senators. I think they have a lot of really talented players within their group. I think uh, the question will be, can they get that new building built at some point down in the downtown area in Ottawa? I think that would be a boon to the franchise. And I think that's why the value of this franchise is so high because the potential with that building is big time. And I know the late Eugene Milnick, you know, this was kind of a yin and yang. I don't think the people, you know, of the, the people that uh, make decisions of this sort were enamored with the idea of, of helping Eugene Melnick all that much. And uh, we will see if uh, the new group can put this all together with the, the city and, and make it happen. But I think it's a great time for that franchise moving forward. I, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot to be excited about. But there's also a lot that has to be done, so uh, so we'll see. But at least this process, it, it seemingly, it's coming to a, a close, and uh, you know that's good news because it's kind of stretched out a little bit longer than people might have thought. And it is disappointing that uh, you know we had the, the whole Ryan Reynolds uh, show of, of the the, uh, the actor and business person that uh, was, was in on this for a while, and that would have been interesting to have someone with that kind of high profile be an owner in the league. But, uh, you know, hopefully this group will, will have the, the wherewithal to make it all work.
0: Are you surprised that there's still actually subtraction of going back to Atlanta?
1: <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, I would say this. The first go-round in Atlanta, it was in the 70s. And it's a different era and the league was in a different place, and so, okay, it didn't work. They went back in the, you know, the early, late 90s, early 2000s, and the expansion rules were not nearly as favorable as they are now. And that franchise never really got any traction in the standings. And, Don, I remember you saying this years ago about teams like, you know, the Carolina or Atlanta or teams that come into different places. Um you need success. You need some winning. You need a run through the playoffs to create excitement in the market at some point. And the Atlanta Thrashers, and I guess it was maybe ten years or somewhere in thereabouts, never really had it. They had one trip to the playoffs and they were swept in four games by the Rangers. So um so all that said it is a big market I've been told that the people that are interested there are are looking to put a building in a much more favorable location for a hockey team so I can't you know I, I don't want to rule out things and, and you know I, I really think 32 teams is the perfect number for the NHL mm-hmm. but you know, money talks, and there are people in, you know, different places in, in North America and certainly in the United States, Salt Lake City, and perhaps in Atlanta and some other places that, uh, you know, would be interested in in having a team. And so we'll see. I mean, it is a business, and uh, money does always talk, and if people want to, if there are groups that want to pay that kind of entry fee, I'm sure that the other owners are happy to to, to welcome that those funds into their bank accounts. <laughs> so we'll see how things play out. But, you know, you asked me, you know, I am kind of surprised because usually it's uh, you don't really see uh, – it would be really kind of surprising to see a market have a third go-around. I don't right. know if we've seen that in any pro sport in, you know, in North America, but you know, usually I could be wrong with because there's a lot of teams.
0: Especially when you have other markets that seem to make more sense, like Houston, 10th most populated city in the country – good sports town, yeah. history with the Arrows and Gordie Howe. I know, you know, I, Quebec, I I get the Quebec, listen, I'd love to see a team go back to Quebec, but can you have eight Canadian franchises? It's harder. I don't, I I
1: don't foresee, I just don't foresee that. I think the biggest problem to me with these things, and this like you bring up that, you know, we're talking about Atlanta, we're talking about Houston, um, you know, obviously the situation in Arizona is critical once again, and it's really unfortunate because I think they have a really, a good, good band base for hockey fans, they were just the rink has never been in the right place, really. And, no. uh, you know, if they could ever get one built in the Scottsdale area or in the area they were trying to build that one, uh, you know, the, with the bond initiative or, the, or the, the yes no vote that failed, um, I think it could be a really successful franchise. But, um, You've got to have the wherewithal. You have to have the owners that have the deep pockets. You have to have the arena. I mean, in Houston right now, those are things that, you know, I don't think you have right now. So it's, it's uh, you have to have someone that really wants to to, to to spend the money and has the money to work in, work with and has the ability to have a building where it can generate the revenue that you need today. I mean, being out here in Vegas, Don, I mean, I know you've been here on a number of occasions as well. It's just the, the arena is spectacular. And it is just, uh, you know, I mean, it is a revenue machine for this franchise. And so, uh, you know, this hockey in Vegas would not be working if, if they didn't have that kind of facility. I mean, it, it wouldn't work in most places when you don't have a facility that really can generate that kind of revenue and can do all the things. This is it's a, just a wonderful building. And. You know, just down the road, you see the Alliance Stadium where the football team plays, and right. so, uh, you know, that looks magnificent as well. And so that's the key, in whether it's Atlanta or Houston or wherever, is you have to, you know, Salt Lake City, I mean, it's another place where you hear someone who's interested in bringing hockey, but um, you have to have the building and you have to have the financial wherewithal. If you have that, you have a chance to make it work. And in in Canada, you know, and and you know what you have to have as well is you have to have a population that can support the team and what it costs to go to games now. I mean, it's a different world than it was when we were growing up. When when I paid like $4 for a box seat at Yankee Stadium, and I could sit like pretty close to the action. And, uh, you know, it's quite different now. So in a place like Quebec, you know, do they have enough in terms of population that could support a ticket that, you know a, a ticket price that is significantly different than it was right maybe 40, 50 years ago. So I, I, I don't see it. I I've always said the only way it goes back to Quebec is if the Ottawa Center somehow moved there. Or another one of the Canadian teams opted to move there. And then the Montreal Canadians would have a in this I believe too. So as a territorial issue. So we'll you know we watch these things but um, you know I don't foresee it's it going back to Quebec
0: now anytime soon. All right, one last thing before we let you go. Momentum now looks like it's going to be Peter Laviolette with the Rangers. Of course, the story around that is what took so long, and reports are they were waiting out what was going to happen in Pittsburgh, waiting out what was happening in Toronto. There's two ways of looking at this, EJ, that Laviolette could indeed be the third choice because they were waiting to see what was going to happen with Sullivan and Keefe. Or the way I look at it is, is, hey, you've got a general manager, and Chris Drury wanted to do his due diligence. He wanted to talk to Sullivan. He wanted to talk to Keith. He, you know, if Joel Quinville was allowed back in by the NHL, talk to him too. That maybe Laviolette was always going to be the choice. But why not talk to as many people as you can pick their brain? So how do you take what took so long to get to the guy that seemed like the obvious choice from the beginning?
1: Well, it does, seem, it does seem odd, I mean, uh, because they could have hired Peter in any time. I mean, doing your due diligence is actually really smart. And if like, if you were waiting, you know, to talk to Patrick Waugh, per se, because Quebec was in the Memorial Cup, or if you were waiting for maybe some kind of conclusion to Joel Quendell, I could understand that. And waiting for Mike Sullivan certainly makes sense. I don't know why in the world you'd be waiting to find out about Sheldon Keith, because right. he won nothing. In, you know, in five years with a pretty good roster. Uh, literally, one playoff series. I mean, I, I, it's just the reality. I'm just giving you a fact. So I don't know why you would be what you when you have Peter Ogilvie, who's won a cup and went to finals and has a world of experience. Um, so in the end, uh, you know, for this Peter, I think he's a good coach. for coming come in and do a good job. He knows how to do it. He's got a, they have a terrific roster. Um, I think they could learn a little bit. From the Golden Knights, in terms of uh, the slotting, I don't think you need nine top six forwards, you need six. Uh, I think you need need pieces around them that make it work. I think you probably need to get a little, you know, maybe just a little more size throughout your roster. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of the pieces are there for the Rangers. They have a great goalie. And so if it's Peter, uh, you know, I think he'll do a terrific job because... You know, he's done a terrific job just about everywhere he's been. And this year in Washington, I thought he did a really good job under very difficult circumstances yeah. with a lot of different injury problems throughout
0: the year. You know, Michael Kay asked me on the show, he's like, well, if he's such a great coach, why does he be on so many teams? And I'm like, well, you just, I think he comes with an expiration date. Most NHL coaches do, right? And it just, yeah. you, you, you kind of wear out your welcome after a while, but you cannot ignore the resume of what he's able to do almost instantaneously when he joins a franchise.
1: Yeah, I you know, it's funny, Is you're right. I mean, guys do bounce. I mean, Michael's right. It's a good observation that, that guys bounce around a little bit more maybe in hockey. I, don't, I can't really speak to what goes on in, in the other sport as much as I used to. I remember Billy Martin managed several teams throughout his Got career. It. and You know, the Yankees, obviously, several times. But um, I would say that, uh, you know, I talked to Bruce Cassidy out here. And it was such a good situation for, you know, for Bruce, it's kind of funny. I mean, Wednesday will be a year of the day that he got hired by the Vegas Golden Knights. I think he was unemployed for eight days or something when he got let go by the Bruins. And, you know, Bruce has a different perspective now at the time. I'm sure he was very disappointed and upset to be, to be let go by the Bruins. And, you know, a little bit late, you know, it just seems in talking to people after the fact, it was like you know Peter's time or Bruce's time was up there. Like the players had kind of you know they had had enough of him, and in the end he probably had enough of Ben to a certain degree. And he said to me uh, you know last week he said you know um, maybe not con- all coaches should just have a five year deal. He goes after five years you know they the players you know lose you and you maybe lose them and everybody needs a fresh start. And he just kind of joked about that, but there's probably something to that, especially in this era. Um, because it's hard to, to continue to play at a high level all the time, and it's just also hard to, you know, to have that for players. Sometimes they need a refresh, they need a new message, and I think the, the coach does too. And I think Bruce has uh, been spectacular here in uh, in Vegas, and, you know, I don't think it would have gone near as well. I, I, I'm of the mind that Mike Sullivan last year, when Pittsburgh had to make a decision, I think they would have been probably better off making a change, and, and not because Mike isn't a great coach. He's a terrific coach. I just think that it probably was time for something different there, and they, they didn't opt to do that, and they're in a different situation today. So um, we'll see what happens with Peter, but I think, you know, if he ends up being the Rangers coach, he'll do a good job.
0: All right, E.J., uh, have a great call tonight. Thank you. And safe travels, whether it be home or sunrise.
1: Okay. I think we'll be heading home, but we'll see. And, listen, you take care of yourself, too.
0: All right. Thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. You got it, buddy. Yeah. All right. That is the great, and I mean great, EJ Raddick. He's got NHL International. Call a Game 5 tonight from Vegas. Golden Knights can lift the Stanley Cup. Panthers trying to force a Game 6. Yeah, I have a feeling it's kind of over. Just like with the heat last night in Denver, just it's a nice run, but the better team you're starting to see is uh the Vegas Golden Knights, and that was a great win in game three for the Panthers to avoid being you know possibly swept the other night, but you know the Panthers are giving it their all, I wouldn't be shocked if they won the game tonight, but it just feels like everything is in the cards literally and figuratively for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights to get their uh first Stanley Cup in six years. How crazy is that you think of all these franchises that have been around forever and haven't won you know the Leafs have not even been to a Stanley Cup final, never mind winning a cup since 67 and you see the Vegas Golden Knights come in in 2018 and, and go to a Stanley Cup final their first year and in year six possibility of winning a Stanley Cup it is you know, unbelievable taking on a Florida Panther team that came into the league 30 years ago and this is only their second finals appearance same as Vegas and, and still looking for that first Stanley Cup uh, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy um, that uh, it, it's happening so quickly but you can't say that it's not well deserved all right, we'll be back again. Um, I'm going to uh, put something together on Thursday just because we've got a remote tomorrow. We're going to be at City Field tomorrow on the Michael K. show, so that means a lot of things, a lot of moving parts. So why don't we uh, either you know, recap the season on Thursday or possibly preview a Game 6. So we'll be back with you again for a Game Misconduct on Thursday. Want to get in touch with me at Don LaGreca? Hashtag Game Misconduct. Best way to do that. Thanks, DJ e. Raddick. Thanks to RJ Santillo. Thanks to Ray Deanan. Did a great job today with the podcast. We'll talk to you again on Thursday. This was the Tuesday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the
1: Game Misconduct Podcast with Don McGregor.